0: You are listening to Changing the Game, with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Changing the Game. Today, uh, I'm humbled and very privileged to have here a very rich So I'm gonna go through uh, Terry Bio in a sec, but you're gonna gonna see what I mean when I I say that we are very fortunate to die. So Terry is a disruptive innovator and entrepreneur with a drive for integrity and honesty. He has worked in the trenches, survived the new business trends and had success with generational changes. Ah, so interesting, he has given away over $1 billion. So I think we never had someone in changing the game, Terry, that have given away $1 billion. That's definitely a story for us to go for it. So it is time to welcome uh, Terry Rich, fraud busting, creative and lucky Terry Rich. Welcome Terry. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to be here and, and to be able to speak, we call it across the pond, as I'm in the middle of the United States at this point. So it's, uh, it's been a fun life and I love sharing experiences.
0: Uh, that's a lot of privilege as well that you remind me. So Terry is now, where well, we are in the middle of the day in Australia and Terry is in the US, so it means very late at the night for him. So thank you for that as well, Terry. We're very uh, grateful for that. Terry, uh, I, I intentionally just introduce a small bio of yourself because there is a bigger version that I would spend, you know, 10 minutes reading it. So what about instead of reading that, you, I ask you, Terry, uh, what is the, you know, who is Terry and what is the summary of this journey?
1: Um, I- I grew up on a small farm uh, kind of a poor uh, growing up as a child but i never felt poor Uh, my last name is rich and our family always had fun my dad was always encouraging and i think that's the start of innovation is that you encourage people to try something that they really want to do they've never done before Um, i went to work out of college in television but i went to work in cable television before cable was really cool before it was really happening and they couldn't pay me in a lot of dollars, but they paid me in these things called stock options. And lo and behold, everything became very successful. It's a really fun entrepreneurial company. Everything we touched turned to gold. We helped start MTV, uh, CNN, many of the national HBO, many of the things that you receive now uh, were things that we began creating. Well, at age 40, I uh, uh, got cashed out because somebody came in and took a run at the company and cashed us out. So I went from this big New York Stock Exchange company, a big stock company uh, with a huge base across the United States and decided to start my own companies. And with that started uh, four or five different companies, had a great run for 10 years. And then uh, at age 50, I don't know if they call it midlife crisis, what it is, but I got a call to say, hey, uh, they said you wanted to go off the road. Would you be interested in running a zoo? So I ran a zoo for 10 years. And then uh, at the end of that, things went well. I got a call from the governor of the state who said, hey, we'd like to see, would you be interested in running the lottery? We're looking for someone to run their lottery. So that's how I got to give away a billion dollars over the 10 years. So it's been a fun interesting right now. I travel the world talking about ethics. I talk about innovation and uh, it's just a great retirement gig to be able to do things like we're doing right here. It's awesome to hear. So it's
0: extremely unique. So we normally talk here with uh, investors and founders, and we have those more traditional profiles. Now I'm talking with Terry, which I can see by your uh, the, the way you describe your story. So you you, you are a, a what do we call a serial entrepreneur? You had different companies, different entrepreneurial experiences. And, and then you, you know, came up to, to service and to give back. So can I, there is this, you know, the, the, the story about, can, tell us more about uh, the companies you founded, uh, a little bit of, you know, what, what are the, the top two, you know, uh, greatest experience you had with your own companies?
1: Sure. Um, you know, I, I tell the story that when I grew up, they called me ornery. And then as I got a little bit older in high school and in college, they started calling me creative. And I think to be an entrepreneur, you need to be creative. You need to find something that really is passionate, something you think would change the world, something that is unique to you. Because I worked in cable all those years, I had the opportunity to do a couple of big productions with HBO where we broadcast via satellite. And when we cashed out, I didn't want to move away and go work for another cable company. So I decided to start my own company. And that's innovation. You know, people have a dream. Everybody listening right now probably has that multi-million-dollar uh, idea, that big idea that make a lot of money. But until you act, you don't make any money. So it it isn't the the creativity that made money in the long run. And to start your own company, it's the innovation to take that first step. And I just took a small piece of the monies that we made through the cable company, and decided if I could just Stay at that. If I don't lose that money, I can do it. I didn't have to go out and borrow money. A lot of people have to borrow money. And I did later on as I get into that. But I tried to take less risk and thought, I'm gonna go try this idea of doing satellite broadcast, free previews of HBO, where you'd come home and you'd see these free movies on your on your screen. And then we would come on afterwards and say, Hey, you like that movie? Now's the time to call and get HBO in your home. And all of a sudden we were selling. Uh, millions of dollars worth of HBO on a weekend just by broadcasting via satellite. So I started doing that for HBO, then ESPN and all these others. And at the same time, I took some of the monies we made from that experience and started a radio station. There was a radio station license. And I I always liked rock and roll radio. So "Ah, heck, that sounds like fun. So started a radio station. And then we also started a, a, a TV show called Soccer Slam. Now, why do Soccer Slam? Because I saw on cable television a need. Remember, we, let's go back to creativity. You, you probably have an idea that, gosh, this could make me a lot of money, but until you act upon it. And, and so I thought, I've got some money from these other things I'm doing. I'm going to start a TV show, which maybe will pay in the long run. And the number one show on cable television at the time was World Wrestling Federation, Rock'em Sock and Wrestling. Well, what other sport is like that in the United States? Well, at the time, soccer, none of the professional soccer players are making any money. So I thought, let's do full contact indoor soccer. So I hired a bunch of professional players to play. We threw in a second ball for the last two minutes of each quarter. We uh, we hired stuntman to do fighting, and then we did a full theme around it. And we did four shows for Fox Sports World at broadcast nationally. And uh, we had a lot of fun with it. So The ways to put, and when people say, how do you begin to become an entrepreneur? I'd look back and say, think about things that you know well, but you could find that one little angle that no one else is doing today that you think you can make money. So in other words, if you're in a decent job, don't just quit and spend your entire life saving so that if you're having kids or you already got kids, you're going to lose it all. Take just a little bit of that and start building it up. And at some point, you should be able to make enough that you can quit your job and go to work full time with that. That's, that's kind of the angle I did. That reduces your risk and really allows you to feel that creativity and something that you have the desire in your heart to make it successful.
0: Very nice. There are some, some very rich uh, pieces there. So when you talk about doing something that you really understand, that's uh, getting that sort of, you know, your, your, Domain area or knowledge area, so you don't don't completely reinvent the wheel. We use that knowledge. Uh, the other one is uh, is an approach to be uh, to take steps to you know so manage risks, take, taking steps. Don't don't go and jump all in. You know, use a piece of that and do it one step. Understand if it works and etc. Until you have uh, enough bandwidth to, to go full time. You'll I also that. learned one
1: other thing in all of that, and that, and that's this, that happiness happens on the way to success. You know, I, I, uh, my dad always told me, hey, in the U.S., you get Social Security when you're 62. You get government pays you money when you retire that you put away, obviously, out of your paycheck every week uh, throughout the years. But he always said, you know, guys, work hard for someone. When you turn 62, you're going to be happy. And I realized when we cashed out of the cable and I started doing the things that I enjoyed, That happiness doesn't happen when you reach your goal. Happiness happens on the way to success. So one of the lessons I try to teach my kids and tell other people just getting in or trying to start their own company, do something that makes you happy. Don't do things. If you're putting nuts on bolts every day, all your life, you're not going to be happy. And even when you turn 62, you finally make it. Then, Then what do you do? I see people die after they retire because they just wilt away. So do things that make you happy and find ways today because happiness does happen on the way to success.
0: This is so good, Terry. This is actually uh, way deeper, right? So because uh, when we think about the concept of happiness for people, so yes, and some people just always chasing happiness somehow. Uh, and what, you, what you're saying is, uh, you know, don't keep chasing that, happen- that happiness that will still come and, and, and the other way around actually have, Now be happy in the journey so that's
1: pretty good now i don't always have all you know everybody doesn't have all the ideas i learned so much from everyone else and that's why you want to surround yourself with successful people damon john who works for a tv show called shark tank in the u.s and i think that is broadcast internationally i did a a, a podcast with him a few weeks ago uh, and i was the mc and and he said something that i thought was something i I took home that i'm going to continue to do and that is He says every night before he goes to bed, he says, I have a list of five or six things and I, I change it up down sideways next morning, I wake up and I change it. And I said, Oh, you mean, these are ideas that people have given you to make another uh, big success story and make a lot of money. He said, no, he says, these are ideas that make me happy. It may be, I'm going to have rice Krispies Um, tomorrow morning because I haven't had them for forever. And that's going to make me happy. He looks for things that, that are easy steps to make himself happy, which is important Uh, Every day he wakes up because we all, when we're successful, get everybody picking at us to want us to do this, that, or whatever. And and truly, you know, everybody says, well, if I just get that project done, I'm going to be happy. No, happiness happens on the way to success, to find things that, that make you happy, whether it's doing, going to the ball game with the kids or whether it's getting, getting a project done can also make you happy. So I thought that was kind of a fun idea to have that list going that does something for you. Sounds selfish, but it really isn't. As you become more and more successful, you'll find that you're always trying to do everything for everybody else.
0: Very nice. Uh, Terry, in, in in the beginning of your story, you're telling a story about uh, working in media and talk about HBO and uh, you know the, uh, those companies and your own companies in the media space. So I'm curious uh, if if I chase you, you know, uh, you mentioned about you know you you half century. Uh, half a century ago, you having these experiences, and now in that sort of industry, you have these stories of blockbusters that grew and went down, and have these stories of you know the new streaming companies, the Netflixes that come and go down. So, uh, what do you think if if someone chases you say, ah, oh, but you know you, you from that time there was was too easy, there wasn't too innovations. Now it's very hard because you have, uh, you know what. How easy or hard do you think it is to innovate today with all this technology?
1: It is so much easier with all the technology and and so much, you know, a little simple exercises every day. Uh, I think as as you have success, you're always thinking about what would be the next one I'd really like to do. That's the frustrating thing, because when you retire, you're supposed to kind of kick back. Right. But I'm always trying to think, well, I drove Even if I go to the grocery store, it took me 12 minutes and 30 seconds. I wonder if I can do it in. 12 minutes and 29 seconds. Or as I, I look around, you know, uh, what could I do differently that would make this, this image uh, unique? What could I sell that, to do that? So coming up with the ideas, and, and I, I used kind of the expression in, in a book that I wrote called Dare to Dream, Dare to Act. The idea is when you brainstorm, when you're trying to get things, think about going to a winery, uh i thought that winemakers had uh, grapevines behind them and they just took the grapes off their own grapevines, and that's how they won all the awards you know and we go to Na- napa valley is where our big area is in the united states and california but then i realized when i got there that they don't just go out behind that they go throughout the valley because in any given year the best grape might be over on that side of the mountain where it rained where it didn't rain or it was hotter whether it rained you know uh, weather was different one way or the other so they get a bushel basket and get a hundred different grapes, and then they figure out which one is the absolute best. And that's the way to be creative. Is I tell people when you get together and you're doing brainstorming with your friends, you have less than eight people, and you say, "Let's get a hundred quick ideas." We we need to decide uh, what's going to make us the next dollar. What's going to be the what's going to be the one idea? Everybody give the ideas, but the key is no judgment. Every idea is a good idea because most people come up with a hey, uh, what do you think if we, if we change this widget to yellow? And they look around and see what people are thinking. You can't have judgment when you're trying to dare to dream. So you get 100 ideas, put them aside, don't do anything with them, and then come back. And at that point, and, and when you're doing that idea generation, you want people who, who are accountants, who are lawyers, uh, every different nationality, diversity is so important because the world is Today, when you ask me, is it easier today to make more money with creativity or with innovation? Absolutely, because you've got the entire world you can go to with the internet. So you want to have as many ideas as possible. You put them aside and then you bring them back and then you get your group of confidence. You want to have someone who's great in accounting, great in legal, all of that. And they then, that's the time that you together prioritize. And they say, well, this one's going to cost us too much. This one's going to get, get you sued. And you find that you raise those ideas to the top. So daring to dream, then daring to act, and always remembering whenever you can, every day, write down an idea. You see something, you wake up in the middle of the night, you should have a pencil beside your bed, write it down. And don't worry about it if you can't do it today or tomorrow, uh, because uh, failure is the first step to success. I I can't tell you how many people say, well, you've had all this success. Jeez, I don't, just doesn't seem real. I've had a bunch of failures as every successful person I've ever met and worked with have had tons of failures in their day. And, mm-hmm. and what you want to be able to do is put those together and prioritize what they're and then get your, get your best confidence that can help you in, in places where you might be weak to make that one great idea that you can act upon and make a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Very happy. Good. So if I, if I pick two from that, so one is yes, dream big, so one thing that I hear about that as well is that, uh, you know, uh, dreaming big and dreaming small takes the same effort. So, well, like, why are you going to dream small if you can't dream big? Yep. So well, I, I had
1: my, I had my first experience uh, to show you how this works. I had my first experience of, of failing when I came out of college. I was in the cable television business. I was doing on camera work, and I realized I was not having this five o'clock shadow on TV. So I sat down and I wrote a letter to Schick, the razor company in the United States and said, Hey, I love your razor. I'd love to do a TV commercial for you. I don't get the five o'clock shadow knowing that maybe, maybe they would write me and I could go do a TV commercial in New York. Well, I sat around for two weeks and had that desire to say, I really want to try to do national television. I'm dreaming big now, much bigger than just a little cable television in the little town. And all of a sudden, two weeks later, I get the letter back. And here's what it said. Dear Mr. Rich, expressing your complete satisfaction with your track two razor, we want to tell you, you wrote the wrong company. Shick doesn't make it. Gillette does. I wrote the wrong company. But you know what? The excitement I had after that experience of failing got me excited to try to do all sorts of things. And since that time, I've been on every major network, every cable television network and networks across the United States. And it came to fruition when I was just a few years later when I helped promote my local town for a centennial. They said, we're 100 years old. We need some publicity. We only have 50 people in town. Would you help us publicize it? So I just sat down and brainstormed with a guy and said, what could we give away? And we didn't have much, so we gave away a free cemetery plot and a free oil and lube for a car. That's about all we had in town. But I did a press release and sent it out. But I failed because I sent out 44 letters and I just sent it. I I had too many printed off. So I sent it to the New York times and London and post, you know, post all these different things. You know what all failed, but one. And it failed because I uh, that one was from a, from a national wire service who got us on the Johnny Carson show. We went in front of 20 million people and talked about Cooper, Iowa. And my whole career took off, but it's back to, I failed, but. I failed initially because I wrote the wrong company, but I still had the idea that I want to do national television. And when I got to the point of, of publicizing and actually doing it, I didn't send it to just one back to that bushel basket. I sent it to 44 different places and only one responded, but that one made a gold mine for me.
0: Terry, I'm, I'm curious because you're touching such an important thing. Right? So like, you know, as a, a failure is part of any success, right? So it, it, you, 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 Test, you being uh, a witness of that and, and giving your testimony. So, uh, but accepting failure is not that easy. So you know, some people take heart, some people are criticized by others. So, what, what, what is what is your experience in, you know when you fail? Uh, what do you do not to put yourself down and and, and suffer with that?
1: Well, I, th- I think first you realize that you can fail at just about anything. I, I was with a guy named Ted Turner who started CNN and a whole bunch of different channels in, uh, in the U.S., and I was with him a few years later, and he was very successful, and he was down. I said, what's up, Ted? And he said, you know what? He said, I'm worth a half a billion dollars now, and he said, I still, uh, I still have to see a couple of, uh, um, for mental help a couple times a week, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, if this guy has failed, And he succeeded. Why can't I? And so I think that I I go into projects thinking, yeah, they might, but when they, when they fail, you look at ways, how do I adjust it? How do I make it work again? Think about this. this. This is a great example. So my grandkids come over, my granddaughter comes over, she's a year, year and a half. She pulls herself up on the couch on the, on the Davenport, turns around, takes a step. what happens? Boom. She falls on her face. But what does she do? She didn't realize what failure is about. She turns around, pulls herself back up, falls again. Boom. She's done that over and over and over again to the point today, she's running all over the house because she didn't realize that failure doesn't mean it can't be done. Think about when we sent three people to the moon. Did you know that over 90% of the time they were, they failed because they had to make course corrections you know, most people do a project and they say, "Okay, I've got the time, I've got the date, I got the money," or they start a new company. This is exactly, how it, and it and it doesn't quite work somewhere, and so it's over. Well, do you think NASA would have done that when we went to the moon? They'd have said, 10987654321 1, blast off." Okay, we've got this thing planned out. We'll talk to you in two weeks. No, they failed over ninety percent of the time. They had to do course correction, but yet that's how they succeeded in
0: getting men to the moon. Yeah, no, very good. That's that's a very good point. So today. In the startup environment sort of thing we talk all the time about the pivots you know that a successful company needs to do because that's that's the only way to be successful. So, uh, Terry, you have in your profile this story about lotteries. I'm very curious, right? So, I'm, I'm originally from Brazil and I remember this might be 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe 30 years ago. So There was a story about this politician that had a huge wealth, and people start to investigate it, uh, you know, where that wealth came from, being a politician. And they found out that this politician won the lottery like 10 times. Uh, Obviously a big scandal, and that story goes on. But coming back to to your experience, because you mentioned about that's sort of a work ethics and going after, you know, resolving fraud in lottery say, uh, what can you tell us about that? What is that story? Sure. Well, I think
1: that uh, as you can tell, I like promotion. I like uh, uh, telling stories. I like marketing, but as a lottery director, you get to do all of that big time with big dollars. Uh, But about three or four years into my career as the lottery director, uh, I got to learn about ethics and fraud. And what I found out was we had a winner for a big jackpot, uh, the largest uh, uh, jack, one of the largest jackpots of a regional game. It's about $16.5 million. And someone won it, but no one showed up to claim it. And for a year, we barked, hey, now's the time, now's the time to uh, get money, or it's about to expire, that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, we get a call from Canada From a lawyer who said, hey, I've got the ticket. Just uh, I'll send you the ticket. You send me the $16.5 million. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, right. When it was all said and done, we tracked it all down. It took us almost six years to find out that it was a external vendor who was the company that created the computers that drew the lottery numbers. And this one vendor had manipulated and put in a code so that one time every single year, he could figure out the numbers for this and so he um he did it for the one of the largest jackpots in this regional game he won gave it to his friend and it went all over the u.s by the time it was done and we busted it and i had a lot of you know that we it took took a lot of investigation a lot of people a lot of dedicated work Uh, but we ultimately cracked it and found that he not only did it in our state but he did it in four or five other states and he had it in up to 50 different computers across the entire United States. So the CBS called it the largest lottery fraud in U.S. history that, that we busted. Here's the, here's the moral of the story: If uh, you're thinking about um, if you're thinking about doing something fraudulent within your company, don't. Because today, first place police go to where do you believe it be? First off, all your uh, social media. They'll look at all the social media, they'll go out and look at that, they'll look at your cell phone and all your contacts. And it was so easy for them to find out where this guy was standing, how he bought, the day he bought it, where he had tracked and where he'd bought tickets. It was unbelievable. Um, But more importantly, if you own a company, especially small companies, an entrepreneur to have checks and balances, this, people hate policies. I don't, you know, travel, why do I have to, I lost my invoice, why do I have to turn in an invoice? Well, those are checks and balances so that people don't, Create fraud and uh that's that's really really important that you have checks and balances uh, within your organization that one person doesn't hold all the keys of the kingdom and that ultimately is what happened here this person wrote the code compiled the code um oversaw the computer that drew the numbers and it took a lot of investigation but he ultimately got busted and got thrown in prison
0: very interesting so and 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 i I suppose that, you know, as a part of that job is in the lottery, uh, in the lottery organization. So you, you, you came back to that original creativity, innovation to do a uh, intrapreneur to, to, to go after those things. So I think, uh, I think I, I, I read that you do you have some tips for actually organizations that uh that are looking for that sort of now, how can I be more innovative? How can I be more creative in our know, organization sense? So what do you think? Because when you talk about entrepreneurs, there is a set of assumption that entrepreneurs have that sort of thing. But when we have large organizations, there is an assumption that you know is a slower mover and, and etc. So how, how can we so get an organization to be less things. slow?
1: Yeah some real easy little things that done just like having a policy that says, when you sign in, when you are an employee, if you steal, you will be fired. Everybody needs that little devil on the shoulder to say, yeah, you know, there, there are three real key elements for internal fraud. Number one is financial need. So if I'm working in an organization or my friend's working and it's, you know, little churches and schools have problems because aunt Susie is the, is the business manager and she does fine. She doesn't need. And then all of a sudden, maybe she starts gambling or, or she goes through a divorce and she needs that money really bad. Well, the second piece is opportunity. If she doesn't have the opportunity to steal. She's not going to. If she's not in charge of the book. She can't really steal any money. She If she writes the purchase orders and writes the checks, yeah, you got a chance for fraud. You need to separate those duties. So the opportunity is the second piece, financial need. And then having the opportunity to control, we all probably have opportunity, but the final piece is the hardest to oversee but that's where policies and procedures come in. And that's rationalization at what point does an employee say, I deserve it, you know that maybe Mm -hmm. they're working really hard, maybe we work them nights and weekends. Uh, Maybe they, they, you know, I'm trying to get my kids through college so I, I, you know, I have the financial need I rationalize this I'm just going to take a little. And most people take a little and then they take a little more and they take a little more and then they get caught. So having those three keys and thinking about in your organization, uh, if you see someone who's going through a divorce, that's it's got gambling, drinking problems, drug problems, you know, you kind of watch them a little more. You have a little more oversight uh, if they make sure they have separation of duties so that two or three people approve things. And then finally, the rationalization People are complaining that you know I deserve more, and that, and we all want to make more money. But you can usually spot people who are at the point of saying, "Screw it! I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, take, uh, take some money from the company because I deserve it." That's rationalization.
0: Interesting. So uh, Terry, with these such you now Terry rich with such a rich life, say, uh, and today you talk about some sort of fun that you have into retirement or, or retirement, I guess so what is what is what is fun for for you today what do you do that you enjoy and you and you you know keep your passion up
1: yeah i I think family is is one for sure uh learning something new having experiences like this with you tonight uh, talking across the world technologically and as you say new ideas well this is what I do. I do. I've done uh, taking my public speaking, which I travel around the world doing, and started doing them virtually during COVID. You you pivot. You look for ways to to continue to make the monies that you had before. Uh, so what's fun for me is I I get paid to go across the world. They pay me to fly in. I do a speech, get money, and then I stay two or three days, and I, I get to see sites I've never seen before from a little little farm kid from uh, Iowa in the United States and that that is interesting that's fun and then coming home to the family and and fun things all my kids live here my grandkids are close most people don't get that in life so that's kind of the fun things i i enjoy doing besides i got into biking at my old age i want to live a few more years and see my kids gradually
0: very nice so is there anything you regret
1: Uh, Yeah, I I think that I, I get asked quite often, if you were 21, again, what were two things you'd tell people? The first one is, is the easiest in being successful. And that is always raise your hand. If you start in a company and someone says the bathrooms are dirty, water closets dirty, be the first to go in and clean it when nobody else wants to or somebody there's a project no one else wants to do, or it's something's cantankerous, be the first to volunteer, you'll be noticed and you will do well. Uh, the other is something I, I have a regret, and that's I wish I'd learned early on how to relax, how to once in a while completely disconnect. When you get success, it's, it's like a drug in its own way. I guess it's like cocaine when you have success, because once you feel it and you've done it, you want to do it again and do it again. And you, I've learned I, I, I never, ever take everything I've just earned and, and made in a big project and reinvest everything because you'd lose it all. So I try to try to do a little bit, uh, you know, I try to only take a piece of anything. So my risk is, is much lower. But um, I, think, I think the regret of being able to relax more instead of always thinking about, okay, what's, what's, what's next? It's what's, what's gonna be fun. And I've got two TV documentaries in the works right now at my old, ripe old age of 70 that I hope to have produced in the next two years. One on the lottery fraud, one on the soccer slam TV show that, uh, continue to kind of excite me and get me excited to wake up in the
0: morning. Interesting. So, uh,
1: I got one more thing. Remember back earlier when I talked about the bushel basket, you can tell, I still have my bushel basket. I'm still trying to think of all the different things that I, I still can do. I mean, that's, that's what keeps me going is trying to think of that next fun thing to throw in the basket that I can maybe consider at some point. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: No, no, very nice so, and, I, and I like that sort of uh, you know that reflection on I'd like I would love to have learned to relax earlier so it's really it, it does take some time for you to realize that you know we don't need the rush that we think we need when we're 20. Uh Terry, uh, we got to learn more about you know the, the idea man, the innovator, you know, had startups and went into uh giving back a service in, in, in other organizations. So uh question do you do you invest? What how do you see that sort of the you know the new entrepreneurs? Uh do you invest in them, whether is money or helping with your own ideas, etc., cetera. Uh, and on top of that same question, how do you see all these new things like uh, uh, cryptocurrencies and, you know, as a metaverse, these new things that are, are claiming to be disrupting the world soon? So, how do you see those things?
1: Um, I, I think it's the old, they call it P.T. Barnum, right? Barnum and Bailey Circus. You're a pitch person. Uh, like I am, uh, I see anything as something that could be successful. You just got to look at it the right way, right? So I think those those are good. My, my desire is I, I don't invest in crypto because I don't understand it as well. So I like to do things that I understand. That's why I, I went four different careers. I understand a little about a lot of things. So I find the th- things that I get passionate about that I think other people, that I've seen other people wanting and that's kind of what I try to invest in. Um, so I I don't want to be. I, we often said in any business that I've owned or any business I've been in, especially cable television, we don't want to be first. We want to be second or third. Let somebody else be the be the cutting edge, um, and and get in before uh, you know it's absolutely you know everybody's in and and it won't grow anymore. You can look for ways, but I like to also look for things that. You know, take the zoo, for example. and I walked into the zoo, the, they were losing six hundred thousand dollars. A zoo's a zoo, right? What can you do to make a zoo different? Well, uh, it's back to the creativity and trying to do something innovative with with it with something that you already have some feel for. And the idea was kids go to the zoo no matter when, so we've got to get young adults going. So what was the idea? Well, we started zoo brew. Young adults don't want to be there when all the little kids are there, so uh what they did was we we opened the zoo at night had band and we served what they wanted beer booze so we we made two hundred fifty thousand dollars in a summer as they're doing now uh and cash flowed the zoo immediately or we looked for things they said you know you need a a new exhibit a new animal and it's going to cost two million dollars we started thinking well what do we have a lot of that we could do that we could still bring the kids in and the rest of the people we thought, well, the animals poop. What, what, what could we do an exhibit on poop and show all the different kinds of poops from the different animals? And The kids would giggle and the parents would giggle. And then we figured out that tiger poop. We have a white-tailed deer in Iowa, uh, and they eat all the plants. Tiger poop is a natural predator smell, although a deer has never seen a tiger. And so what we did is we sold tiger poop for twenty dollars a bucket, and it kept deer away from people's flowers, and we made twenty thousand dollars on that. So. Being innovative just isn't always brand new ideas. Even the lottery, we, we I increased the profits from $58 million to $90 million in those 10 years just by blocking and tackling, doing some basics of trying to be innovative on uh, new ways to sell lottery tickets. So, you know, I, I think you can make just as much on something that you might know if you're working in an industry now, what's the one or two things that might make it even better that people might buy
0: That's awesome, Terry. Terry, uh, as I as I mentioned in the beginning, that thirty minutes go like flash. Uh, I am uh, concerned that you know, with our privilege of having you at eleven p.m. uh, and and you need to get your rest. So I I can't put words in how grateful I am, and I'm pretty sure that all the listeners will will be as well of your generosity. Right. So your stories are fantastic. I love it. Uh I appreciate I, that. I'm still grateful. So, thank you very much. I hope we can stay connected and, you know, hear from you again in the future. Absolutely. And, I have got a
1: you know, my website is terryspeaks.com, just T E R R Y speaks like speaking.com and you'll see the different the two different uh, things that I speak about and I'd love to come over and see anybody in Australia and love to have you come to the US and say hi here too, but Uh, And either way, you know, having a new virtual friend is really pretty cool. So thank you, Wilson.
0: No worries. Thank you very much. And everyone, this is Terry Rich. I think you will agree with me how privileged we were until the next episode of The Changing the Game.